Do you ever find yourself looking for something challenging, looking for something hard? Well, you came to the right podcast because I know exactly how you feel. Stay tuned. I'm Christy Code Red, and you're listening to Rebel Weight Loss and Lifestyle, where we believe food holds the power to heal or poison, and we believe our society has been misled regarding proper nutrition and weight loss. You're in the right place if you're looking for some straight-up truth, because I'm here to shed light on the lies and brainwashing that has taken place over the past five decades. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to another episode of Rebel Weight Loss and Lifestyle. I'm your host, Christy Code Red, author, entrepreneur, retired professional boxer. And speaking of boxing, let's start this off with a little bit of boxing history. I boxed as a federally licensed professional fighter at 154 pounds. I was federally licensed in many states and other countries. From 2002 to 2010, I officially retired in 2010. It is quite an experience being a professional boxer because there are only 2,000, or at the time that I was fighting, you know, 20 years ago, there were only 2,000 women on the planet who were professional boxer, uh, pro- professional boxers. It was a very um, narrow, a very small amount of women, and it be and it made boxing so difficult for women because you just didn't, you just ran out of girls to fight. And of course the weight class categories, you would have to go up and down different weight class categories. You know, every five pounds, the weight class changes. And so in order to fight different girls for different titles, you had to go up and down your weight. Why is that significant? Because if you fight heavier than your natural weight, then chances are, yes, you might be a little stronger, but you'll be slower. If you fight lower than your natural weight, you are you are going to be faster, but you will be weaker. And so it's always good. My old boxing coach used to say it's always good to fight your weight. And now that I'm comfortably staying in the 140s at 47 years old, thanks to my bodybuilding, uh, my bodybuilding uh, career, I guess what you can call it, my bodybuilding uh, hobby that I have now that I, as a competitive bodybuilder back back on stage. I wish I would have, I wish I would have stayed down at this weight because I feel so much better at this weight and I have more muscle than I've ever had. Uh, And so it's so funny that 154 pounds was the light middleweight. That's what that boxing belt you see behind me. Um, That was one of my boxing belts that I won. That was, that was what the weight I thought I was always going to be. I just thought I was 154 pounds and I wasn't by any means fat or anything. And I I certainly, I, I was in great, great shape. I just wish I could have thought about being able to get down into the 140s. I had, would have had more opportunities. I could have fought Holly Holm. I could have fought um, some other lighter girls that were um, excellent fighters. It would have been an amazing matchup. So I, when you when you become a pro fighter, you really become a, a, a part of an elite class of women and men. But I'm referring to women because women don't get me started on Uh, Don't get me started in in men and women's sports. Don't get me started on that because I know firsthand how detrimental it is to fight a man. You do not mix the men and the women. We know this in boxing. The man will kill you. They are designed to do that. They have a huge amount of strength, more than any woman. So to put men in women's sports is an incredible disadvantage. I would never get in the ring with a man. I would never get in the ring for a sanctioned boxing match with a man. 
I mean, it would be a head injury for sure. It would be death, probably certain death. It's, it's just, it's so wrong. It's so wrong in so many ways. So I'm talking about women to be a, to be the part of an elite class of women, of professional fighters where your hands are actually registered weapons. They're actually registered weapons with the, with the federal government. Um, that I thought that was always kind of a myth. It's not a myth. I didn't know that. It's not a myth. It's not a myth. That makes a person feel really good. And to be known as I was all over the world as a professional fighter really was such a great feeling. It was great to know that I trained five hours a day for my world title fight in Beijing. It was great to know that I could do some long duration road work. It was great to know that I could box train uh, 12, 15 rounds uh, on top of plyometrics, on top of weight training, on top of running, on top of agility work, on top of jump roping. I mean, I could box and box. I had such incredible stamina. Most fighters do. And that's the idea anyway. It, it was such a good feeling to know that I could get through hard things. It was, it was, it was such a great feeling to know that I was in elite level status with elite cardiovascular condition fast. I could throw three punches in less than one second. I mean, it was, it was great to know that I had the ability to defend myself. I had the ability to, uh, you know, that I had over 400 pounds in my uppercut alone. I mean, that's a really great feeling. It's a great feeling to know that all my hard work paid off. And I was an elite level athlete considered one of the top three most dangerous females on the planet. That was a good feeling. Fast forward to competing in an MPC bodybuilding show in April of 2023, placing in the top three in my very first show in 20 years, comeback show in over 20 years at 47 years old, when I was completely discounted, when people said I couldn't do it, when they said that I, there was no way I was coming back, that I was washed up, that I was too old, that I was burnt out, that I did not have the ability to uh, do such a huge, drastic transformation in such a short amount of time, and then film it all for a documentary that is set to come out in the fall of 2023. It, it was, it was talk about the ultimate comeback. Talk about the underdog story. Talk about a girl who, who came from nothing and having to train my butt off doing just unspeakable things in the gym and, uh, and cardio wise in order to make this whole thing happen in order to make this whole thing come true. And it was so hard. So I remembered being retiring from boxing, uh, and it was 2010 and I was so lost and I knew that I would be not being a fighter anymore, not, not taking fights, not having a team, not training anymore like I had. And so I immediately made that knowing I, I knew was knowing I was going to suffer uh, mentally from not being identified, not identifying as a fighter anymore. It was such a, it was such, such a huge part of my identity. Um, knowing that I was going to suffer mentally, I immediately transitioned into another extreme sport, which was cycling. And I bought my first road bike and I, uh, and backing up a second, I, I went on a hundred mile bike ride and I borrowed somebody's bike that didn't fit me. I'm tall. I'm a tall girl. And so if you try to fit into a bike that is too small, you'll, your, you'll, your body will be rounded into like a donut shape and you will, your back will have spasms and you, you got to be able to stretch out your body and ergonomically it has to fit. 
Well, this bike didn't fit because I didn't own a bike and I borrowed a bike. I was thankful to have it. Hold on, Ron. I got to check this message. So I put all of my energy into road riding and I went just all out with it. I was riding my road bike 300 miles a week. I am not kidding you. 300 miles a week. I was riding with only men's groups, which was fairly unheard of for women in this area, in the Treasure Valley to ride with men's group because men, like I said, like I mentioned to you, are naturally just built to be superior athletes to women. They're built stronger with more bone density, with more muscle mass, with different, uh, with different VO2 max. I mean, the, the whole, everything, everything about the man is different than the woman. They have more testosterone. They are stronger athletes. I don't know why our society is so hung up on this. This is why we don't usually mix the men's and the women's sports here. Come on, you know? And so for a woman to actually ride in a men's group of uh, um, cyclists and keep up was just really very, very rare without falling off the back. Now in cycling, in road riding, you ride usually two by two in pairs, two by two, and you line up and then you create a wind tunnel. And the person that the, the two people or the person in the front are the people, what we call pulling. And that they're the ones breaking the wind. They're the ones there, there. And they're creating this pocket of air around the rest of us. You guys have all seen it in NASCAR. You've seen it when geese fly in the shape of a V. They're doing the exact same things. They are drafting the geese behind, the NASCAR driver behind. He or she is drafting behind the guy in the front. That's what they do. You see it with truckers. You know, you see people that can get behind a trucker and the wind will actually pull it along without you having to do anything. And it's, uh, it, it's how you can cycle for long distance is you work together as a group and everyone takes turns in the front. So you take turns pulling in the front while, that, while you rotate to the back and take a break. And it's taking a break because the wind, and, and don't ask me the aerodynamics here. I don't know the exact, like I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, an engineer. It's just that the wind that it creates will suck you into the group and keep you there with minimal effort. And that's how you can give your legs and your lungs a break. And so for a woman to actually pull in the front is unheard of. Men that ride with women, generally, they're gentlemen. I mean, the ones I always rode with, you know, they were like, you know, they were usually baby boomers. Um, and they that, that's just a generation that was raised different. And they are just gentlemen. And they would they would take care of us ladies, you know, and I never minded that. I mean, I wasn't like, you don't need to No, I, I, I appreciate the chivalry. I mean, I appreciate the being taken care of. I really do. I love it. I'm an alpha female, but I have no problem with alpha males. I really don't. And so they don't expect the woman to be able to pull the group because sometimes they're going 22, 23, 26 miles an hour into a headwind. <laughs> Maybe slight one, two, three percent incline. Very difficult to keep up that speed when you're breaking wind. And so they didn't they never expected the girl to pull. What you would do is you would just rotate as you would rotate to the front of the line. You would just go ahead and slip right out. You didn't do your turn in the front, as we call. We just slip out. I go to the back of the line and I would just ride along. But I was such a strong female cyclist that I would pull. I would do a rotation in the front. I would actually keep up the speed. I, what I had to work, I mean, it was everything I had. It was everything I had to do it. It was extremely difficult. And so I was super, super, super fit. My lung capacity, my leg strength, I was so fit. And I just switched right from, from elite level boxing, right into elite level cycling. And I made sure that I put my effort into that. And so I was, I came out of boxing craving 
the hard and knowing that I went straight into road cycling and then later switched over to right around my 41st birthday, I switched over to mountain biking, which was also so very hard. And I really loved the hard. I, 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 I was craving hard things. I was craving the difficult stuff. Fast forward to April of 2023 and I get off the stage at the Emerald Cup. I'm super proud of myself. Just really just, I mean, put in eight months of unspeakable difficult work. You know, I mean, I, I was so broken down. I was so mentally exhausted. I was so physically broken down. My body was lean. I was at sitting around. I was at 136 pounds and 10% body fat. I was as lean as lean could be. And I, I was ripped, but I was just, I was beat up. I mean, I was done mentally. I was done physically. My body was, I was depleted. And that's just usually what happens. Now I went through an extreme transformation in a very short amount of time. So normally people wouldn't go extreme. Like I did, they would take normally a coach would take twice as long to bring me down in weight and body fat and just take their time. So I don't want anybody to freak out and bodybuilding is a weird sport anyway. And it's a very difficult sport, but it's not a dangerous sport. It's just that I took the dangerous method because I was trying to film this documentary and I was trying to make a certain um, show and it was just the route that I took and it cost me a few health problems. I've since recovered. So I get out of, I get off stage and the other girls had warned me about this. Casey Cafferty, uh, Eric Cafferty's wife had warned me, Christy, she warned me halfway through prep, Christy, listen, you're going to get off stage and you're going to immediately depression is going to hit you because you're not going to have any purpose. You're not going to have any training schedule. I mean, you're training, you know, close to five hours a day right now. And you're not going to have that anymore. And you're going to feel lost. You're going to feel weird. You're going to need to have another goal. You need to have a goal after the goal. I've done podcasts on that before. You need to have a goal after the goal. Well, okay. I, I, I thought, okay, maybe I'll just get back on stage. I'll, I'll recover. I'll, you know, I'll have a pizza or whatever. I thought I was going to, you know, I'll, I'll take some rest. I'll sleep a little bit and then I'll, I'll get back into prep and I'll do another show. I, you know, and she said, she told me that immediately she went into power lifting competition. She went into a totally different sport and I wish I would have taken that advice a bit more seriously because I, I did fall into this little bit of a depression. My depression was only two days and I didn't, I mean, some people slip really down into a deep, dark place where they're, 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 they're in this deep, dark pit for a month. Uh, I did not do that. It was two days, but I had to call a couple of my coaches and help them and let them help me pull me out of this pit. I didn't binge eat. I didn't go off the rails. I didn't freak out. I didn't, you know, I kept my weight down. I was pretty good about that, but I immediately started craving the hard and I wasn't sure what I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I, I, I knew I was craving something. I couldn't, I didn't identify it right away. Uh, I didn't know what it was. Nobody could quite tell me what I was feeling. I was feeling so lost, so out of sorts. You know, you pour your life into something for so long and then you're done with it and it's an immediate abrupt stop and you got a crown and you've got a, a couple of medals to show for it. And then you, you get on the plane and you go home and you walk into an empty house and it's like, well, now what? And so I didn't know if I was just, my hormones were out of whack or I was hungry. What was wrong with me? Why am I crying? What's going on? Why can't I get back in the swing of things? What a, I mean, I was just so out of sorts, so weirded out. And 
I finally was able to, after a couple of months of floundering, I was, I was able to put my finger on the fact that I was craving the hard. I was craving the hard. I wasn't craving the stage. I wasn't craving the announcer. I've been on stage uh, for 20 years. I've been on stage. I've been on some really, really, really big stages in this world that people only dream of. I've, I, I wasn't craving the limelight. My name has been on the cover of magazines. I've been had my own uh, you know, MTV show. That's not it either. I mean, I like it. I'm not going to sit here and say I don't like it. Of course I like it. Who doesn't like the attention? Uh, I wasn't craving the attention. I wasn't craving the look, the lean look, because you can't stay down that lean. I, I could not, main, nobody can maintain stage, the stage look. You see these girls on stage, that's absolutely not. Immediately following the show within hours, you put on water weight because you get on stage dehydrated. So immediately following the show, you're going to put on four or five pounds just in water, just in rehydrating. Your muscles are going to fill back out. You're going to go back to, you know, whatever your normal is, but you don't stay down that lean. You do put on a little bit of body fat, perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. It's unhealthy to be that lean and impossible to maintain. So I wasn't craving that look since I knew that look was impossible to maintain. I wasn't craving the stage. I wasn't craving the lights. I wasn't craving the intention. I wasn't craving the dark spray tan. I was like, what was I, what, what was, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I so, what is wrong with me? I was craving the hard. I was craving the discipline, the drive, the difficulty of the whole process. I guess I was craving the process without the pressure, but I was also craving the pressure. I was craving the pressure. I was craving everything that came with the hard. I was the pressure, the, the text messages between me and my coach. The, the, the people watching me, people cheering for me, knowing that I was going to have to produce, knowing that it was expected me, knowing there was a couple, uh, a, a few hundred thousand dollar documentary on the line, knowing the world was going to watch me. That was making the whole process hard. And I was craving that part. I, I was, I wanted the pressure. I wanted that immense, that weight on my shoulders. I wanted that. I wanted to wake up knowing I had to produce or I was going to make a mockery, not only of myself, my brand, but the sport. Same thing with boxing. If I hadn't transitioned over to elite level cycling, I would have slipped into it. I would have gone through the same thing. And that in elite level cycling was a perfect transition for me because it was hard. It was a different kind of hard. It got my mind off of boxing and it got me, um, you know, it got me on the right track mentally and got me focusing on something else and transitioning out of being a fighter. And I needed a transition out of being a competitive bodybuilder, at least for a little while while my body healed. You know, I'm always going to be Christy Code Red. I'm always going to be Larry and Carol's daughter and Carrie's sister. I'm always going to be Auntie. I'm always going to be Hazel's mom. There's nothing wrong with those parts of my life. I'm always going to be the owner of Code Red. I'm always going to be the best weight loss coaching in, in North America. I'm always going to own one of the best companies, Code Red. That that was that, those are all good enough things to reasons to live. Those are all phenomenal reasons to have a wonderful life. So why wasn't that enough for me? Why wasn't all that enough? I kept asking myself because I was craving something hard. I wanted the pressure. I like having the fact that I knew that, that 
April 29th, I was getting on that stage. And that's what I lived. I breathed. I slept. Everything I did was geared towards April 29th. I lived in boxing for the next fight. The next fight was usually one month out. We had about one month in between fights. I mean, I did my first seven fights one month apart. And I, and I, I just lived for the next fight. I lived for the next one. And now I had nothing to live for. Gotten out, I got, had gotten out of bodybuilding and I, I, I'd gotten off stage and I had nothing to live for. I mean, I, I blew up my coach's phone. I was freaking out like, Hey, when's our next show? When's our next show? Knowing I was slipping and I didn't know what, why I just was like, I was grasping at things to hold on to. Cause to me, it's not enough to be Hazel's mom. It's not enough to own code red. It's not just for me. It's not enough to be a daughter, a sister, an auntie. It's not enough. It's not enough for me. I needed more. I needed hard, really, really hard in a healthy way, hard, not in the way that I did it, the healthy way, hard. I needed a show date or I needed some sort of a, a goal. That's why I'm, I'm a big, big believer in short-term and long-term goals. You cannot have one without the other. You can't have just a short-term. You can't have just a long-term. And I didn't have a long-term goal. I thought I did, but it wasn't, it wasn't carrying me. I guess I didn't because I, I was not doing well. And finally, I realized I'm craving the hard. So why do I tell you all this? And what does this have to do with you? Because I believe that you all go through phases where you crave the hard too. I believe, and I have heard this from you. It's not just my own speculation. I've heard my rebels say that they miss the pressure. They miss the difficulty of being a Code Red Rebel. I don't think it's that difficult, but I mean, you come join my VIP program. You're going to turn in your weight directly to me and I'm going to see it. It comes right to my email on a nice, beautiful spreadsheet. And I'm going to actually see it and I'm going to see all your weights lined up since you've been on VIP and I'm going to see month. I'm going to see Friday to Friday to Friday to Friday. And I'm going to call you out on it. And you know that I expect 1% of that body weight to come off. I remember I sent progress pictures into my coach every single morning and my weight and a picture of the scale. I mean, he didn't let me off the hook, not even this much. And neither do I when it comes to you. And I remember that feeling. I mean, it kept crap out of my mouth. Let me tell you, it kept me going. It kept me lifting. It kept me running. It kept me on the program. It kept me on the straight and narrow. Do you think for one second I'm going to disappoint him or myself? Because disappointing him is going to ultimately is going to disappoint myself. It's going to let my fans down. It's going to make a mockery of the sport. It's going to make a mess of my documentary. It's going to be a mess. I knew I needed to show up. I knew I needed to produce good numbers. And I put that kind of pressure on you. And I believe you like it. I believe you crave the hard. Humans, if you look back at earlier, man, oh, they were explorers. They were hunters. We, 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 would, we set up civilization. We would explore. We would migrate. We would populate. We would build cities. We, would, we started off just living in caves and and. We, we've evolved to what we are now because I believe we do have that thirst. We have that, that a desire. We crave the hard. We're not lazy by nature. We really aren't. If you look at earlier man and really, even if you look at us 70 to a hundred years ago, 
we are, we used to be really hard workers, but now we've become, we've lived in these urban jungles. We have, we have food everywhere. We have an abundance of food with no nutrients, by the way, that's a different podcast for a different day. We have everything Amazon prime fast. We can have something next day or same day. We have electricity at the flick of our, we don't have to, we don't have to flick our fingers. We can say, Alexa, lights on. Alexa, lower the volume. Alexa, what's the temperature? Alexa, what will the weather be today? Alexa, put that on my grocery list. We don't, we don't even have to even do anything anymore. We get things delivered. DoorDash, Uber Eats. We don't have to hunt. We don't even have to shop. We have become this lump of an earlier man. <laughs> We're incredibly smart. We've got the smartest engineers, the smartest doctors, the smartest scientists, the smartest lawyers on the planet. We have these incredible humans that are so amazingly intelligent but we have gotten lazy as a whole and we're sicker and fatter than ever in human history. But I still believe that earlier man, something inside of you is craving hard. It's craving a challenge. And I think some of you guys, that's why you look me up. That's why you still follow me on Instagram, even though you have gained back all your weight and more. You still listen, you still watch, you still look me up. You're still cheering for me, even though you might hate me. We have a saying, I, I came up with it, I think. Even though they don't follow you, doesn't mean they don't follow you. People are watching. People are watching me. Some of them are cheering for me to fail. Doesn't make a difference to me. And some of you guys are craving that pressure that I put on you, that expectation. I put you on this level and I said, I expect you to level up. I expect you to aspire higher. I expect this of you. I have a niece. She's 25 and my sister, her mom has been a mess, has made a mess of her life, a mess of her life with drugs and alcohol for the last 20 plus years. And it's really sad. And Ellie has had to claw her way out from under that mess. And thank the Lord for my other sister, Carrie, for me, for my parents who have come around her and have loved her and have gotten her through times where her mom has failed her. And I, Ellie doesn't expect things of herself, but I expect things of Ellie. And I refuse to lower my expectations. And she doesn't see it. I see it. And she can borrow my belief. And I am pushing that girl hard right now. She wants to go into a paramedic program. She wants to be a paramedic. And I am, uh, I have offered to pay her way. Uh, not, uh, not she'll get a scholarship, but I'll pay her living expenses so that she can go on a fast track program. You know, it's like Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week. I mean, they get you through the program, but it's full time. And I am pushing that kid without pushing her away. I'm pushing her hard because I know she can take it. And I know she's craving that she's craving someone to believe in her. She's craving someone to expect more of her. And I know you are craving that too. Kids that are kids that have to be put under some serious pressure by, by their parents. 
you know, with farm chores, with household chores, with homework, with grades, with sports, it makes them into better people. When, when my sisters and I were little, we lived on a 40 acre. We had, we had more, we had more land than that, but we lived on a farm and we grew our own hay. And during July was haying season. And what would happen would, um, you know, you would swath the hay, which means you would cut the grass and, it, and then you would lay it down in the field and it would be in these long rows. You guys have seen them. And then you let the hay dry out and then you come along with a baler and you bale up the hay into bales. And that's what we would use to feed our animals, our horses, our cows, our pigs, or all the animals for the winter. Winters were harsh when I was growing up. They were no joke. They're not like now. It's warmer now. We got a ton of snow and very cold temperature. I remember specifically 30 below zero, no wind chill because I stuck my tongue on my horse's bit to see that if it, it to, to see if it was too cold to stick in his mouth. And I got my tongue stuck, stuck on my head to tear my tongue off. There was a piece of my tongue on the horse bit. I know, I know I should have spit on the bit. I don't, <laughs> I just, anyway, that was that morning. It was really cold. Mom, do you remember that? <laughs> do you remember that? It was a, I have a mark here. I have a mark here now. Um, so it was cold growing up and we needed that hay and we didn't have money to buy hay. We had to grow our own hay. And uh, my dad had bailed up the hay and it, the bales of hay were sitting in the uh, in the field and they hadn't been picked up, picked up yet and put in the barn. And any farm kids know my farm people know you can't let it rain on your bales of hay, can you? Because then they will mold and then they are ruined. My dad called us girls. We were home one day. He was in town uh, working. We lived 13 miles out of town on a windy, steep road. It took at least a half hour to get back and forth. And that was on dry roads. And he said, girls, rain is coming. I need you girls to go pick up all that hay in the 40 acres. So Laura was our littlest and she drove. I stacked and Carrie would buck the hay. And we got all of that hay. I kid you not, three little girls picked up all of the hay and put it in the barn. It took us all day to do it. And my dad came home and he, he looked at all three of us girls. I don't even, I don't think there were tears in his eyes, but I'm going to picture it that way. <laughs> and he said, I am so proud of you girls. Let me tell you, that's going to go down as one of my best memories. My dad expected more of us girls and we stepped up. Your kids will step up if you expect more of them. And you will step up when I expect more of you. I refuse to water down my brand. I refuse to water down Code Red because just a few people have got their feelings hurt. I won't do it, guys. I'm going to be tough on you because I believe you are craving the hard. I believe you get so sick of your own bull crap that you want somebody to say, knock it off. Get in here, get on that scale and turn it in. I don't care what that number is. You don't stick your head in the sand and act like it ain't happening. I think you want me to come into Costco food court and catch you with that pizza. I think you want me to walk into Olive Garden and catch you dipping that breadstick in the Alfredo sauce. I think you want it. You want me to finally look at you disappointed and say, Karen, I expected more of you. What are you doing sabotaging yourself like this? You know better. None of this food is going to do your health any good. I think you want that. I'm willing to do it. I think you crave the hard. It might be a different hard for you. Your hard's going to look different. But I think you like stepping up 
and having expectations put on you and you having to level up and measure up and deliver on those expectations. I think you do. Maybe not for me. It might not be for Code Red, but it might be for your job. It might be for your garden. It might be for your marriage. It might be the way you dress. I think you like waking up just a little bit earlier to do your makeup just a little bit better so that you can look nice in public. I think you like when your kid expects you to be there at their soccer game. I expect you to be there, mom. They don't say that. Your kids probably don't talk to you that way, but they really want that. They need that. They need that from you. They need you to be there. I'll tell you, as a kid who played sports, I played basketball, and I there, there's no greater feeling than hearing your own parents' voice. Mom, do you remember that? I remember hearing your voice, Mom, in the bleachers. I do. I didn't get to play very much. I had a jerk of a coach, and I probably wasn't very good. I tried hard, and I had really big boobs, you guys, in high school, and I had two sports, sports bras because my boobs were huge, and so I had two sports rods that flattened them out. Of course, I'm going through you know puberty and stuff, so they're painful. They're, they're squished, and it's painful, but I had such big boobs. The boys teased me in high school about having big jugs. I, I didn't even know what that meant. We didn't have Google back then. I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. We didn't talk about jugs. I didn't know what jugs were. I had to figure that out, <laughs> and I had big boobies, and uh, I played basketball and it was uncomfortable. And I mean, hearing my mom cheer for carrying me in the stands, guys, your, your, your kids expect you to, to step up. What are you expecting of yourself? If you don't have any expectations for yourself, uh, that's okay. Come to me because I do expect you to step up because I know what you are capable of. You are not the lazy person that you have turned into. You are not the person that letting yourself just get away with crap and going back on your word, lying to yourself. That is not you. That is not the true you. You might come to me like that, broken, battered, beat up, but that's not the true you. The true you is better than that. And I see through you to the true you. Ooh, I like that. I see through you to the true you. You can do this. And if you are craving the hard right now, I, I encourage you to get on a 10-pound takedown. We're having them back on Facebook now, so it's convenient for you. And I encourage you to get on VIP. That's where I'll really hold your feet to the fire. I expect more of you. And I know you can do this. You might be craving the hard. And when you are ready, I am ready for you. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to Rebel Weight Loss and Lifestyle. If you are looking for some hardcore accountability to get and keep this weight off, look no further because I've got VIP connection. This is the ultimate connection to me just short of me sleeping on your couch. You're going to get three daily messages from me in real time directly to you. You're going to submit your weight every Friday. We're going to go over it in a weekly meeting on Sunday nights, and I'm going to give you feedback. You'll have access to a monthly VIP breakfast with me and Boise, a monthly VIP supplement box, access to any workshop, any PDF promo that I hold for that month. You'll have access to the ringside membership. 
And best of all, you'll have a fully customized nutrition program written just for you. We're talking about over $3,000 total value for $3.97 a month, and you can cancel anytime. Go to coderedlifestyle.com forward slash VIP to check that out.